your Bibles with me to the book of John. I'm going to go to chapter 10, and I'm going to begin something this morning. I'm going to begin a series on hearing the voice of God. Hearing the voice of God. And I just want to crack open this theme this morning and talk about it. And this is what I want to say in a nutshell. You and I are wired to hear God's voice. You and I are wired to hear his voice. Amen? You have the engine in you, the receptivity in you to hear the voice of God. John chapter 10, I'm going to read the first five verses and then I'm going to work through some of it here. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of of strangers. Can we say amen? amen? I'm really, I was really, my interest was piqued in this again. You know, I mean, if you've been a Christian for any time, especially in our church, you've heard about hearing the voice of God and we talk about it a lot. And, and so a lot of the, the principles that I'm going to bring out over the next couple of weeks, I think it's just reiterating some very basic fundamental things we all know, but uh, the simple truths are sometimes the most profound. Amen? And like this morning, I just, it, this just has blessed me the last couple of weeks just to get back into this issue afresh and to look at Scripture afresh and see how God speaks to us. But I was in a pastor's conference uh, recently, and I was having dinner with two of the speakers. And um, one of the speakers, very brilliant guy, said, we're living in a really interesting day and he started talking about all that he thinks is coming on the nation you know more covid possible dirty bombs being nuclear bombs possible stock market crash he, and he was and he wasn't just saying this he was an educated very smart guy as he was talking about this stuff and so i was there and i'm thinking okay i'm getting lower and lower as he's talking and i said hey, hold on bro I'm a pastor of a local church. What am I supposed to do? And he said something that I can't get out of my mind. He said, you better teach your people how to hear the voice of God. And those who hear the voice of God will make it. So not meaning to scare you, but I'm telling you, it's crucial that we learn to hear God's voice and to do what he says do. Amen? So let's look at this passage, and I want to take my time this morning and just break it down. Jesus is talking here, famous passage, about being the good shepherd. It's obviously a metaphor. The shepherd is a metaphor. He's the one who takes care of his sheep. In this, in this passage, you know, if we applied it to today, you and I are the sheep. He is the shepherd. And he guarantees us that we will know his voice and we will recognize his voice. 
But the Bible wasn't written with chapter divisions. It wasn't written with chapter divisions. So when you read the Gospels or you read like the letters of Paul, they were written as one block and then later editors put the chapter divisions in it. And thank God for the editors. Or we'd have a really hard time finding our Bible passage for the morning. But anyhow, if we look at this passage, so so when, when it goes from chapter to chapter, there isn't always this hard break in thought. And I don't think one is going on here. Here's what I think is happening. Chapter 10, the setting of his teaching was prepared by what happened in chapter 9. So what happened in John 9? In John 9, Jesus and his disciples are walking and they pass by a blind man, a man who had been blind from birth. And the disciples said, Lord, is this man blind because of his own sin? Or because of the sins of his parents. Jesus said it was neither his sin nor the sins of his parents. He's this way basically so God can have an opportunity to show his glory. And then Jesus walks up to the man, spits on the ground, makes clay out of the saliva and dirt, and puts it on the man's eyes and says, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. So this man goes, and he washes in the pool of Siloam, and he can see. He's healed 100%. Absolute miracle. So the guy starts announcing it, and and people who knew him before realize, this is the boy we've known who's been blind from birth, and what kind of miracle has happened to this guy? And so the authorities of the synagogue and the religious leaders, being the Pharisees, started to question this guy. And it's irony at the maximum. It's beautiful the way this plays out. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. So they they come to this guy and they're like, what has happened to you? You were blind. This cannot be. No one has healed the blind since the creation of the earth. And the man says, well, there was a guy who came up to me and told me to wash in the pool and I'm, I can see. This, this isn't possible. And besides, this guy's a liar because he did it on the Sabbath day. And you know you shouldn't do these kind of things on the Sabbath day. And the boy says, well, he was a, I don't know, he was a prophet. I think he was a prophet. His understanding is increasing. He was a prophet, I think. And they said, bring the boy's parents in. So they bring the boy's parents in, and they start questioning the parents. And I think the parents were afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue. So the parents said, we don't know what's happened to him. He's of age. Ask him. (laughs) And then, then they look back to the boy, and the boy then starts getting like, I'm liking this kid. Because he, he then says, are, what's, are, do you guys want to be his disciples too? Is that what this is about? So then they get mad and they kick him out. He's basically kicked out of the synagogue. So what happens? He goes walking down the street. And oh, oh before that, when they pushed him to a certain point, what happened to you? What, who was this guy? He can't do He said, listen, guys, all I know is that I was blind and now I can see. 
They kick him out. He's walking down the street. Jesus hears about it, and Jesus goes and finds him. And Jesus walks up to him. So he, first of all, he said he was a man. Secondly of all, he said he was a prophet. Jesus walks up to him and says, Do you believe in me, the Son of God? And he says, Lord, I believe. And at the end of this passage, Jesus makes a statement that, and this is so John, it's so Johannine, it's so the way he wrote. There's a spiritual message as there's a natural message going on. And the the message at the end is this. The boy who was blind was blind physically, but now he can see both physically and spiritually. But the Pharisees who could see physically are now the ones who are blind spiritually and they can't see. Do you follow me? This is what Jesus said. I want to read that. At the end of, the, at the end of John 10, or John 9, he says, If you were blind, the Pharisees, the Pharisees spoke up and said, Are we blind also? And Jesus responded and said, If you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say we see. Therefore, your sin remains. In other words, yes, you're blind. And so the Good Shepherd passage, the context is set by the healing of the blind man. And so then Jesus comes forward and he says, you know what? Those who come in through the door of the sheepfold, that means through him, they're the true sheep. They're the ones who hear the voice of God. Everyone else who comes in is a thief and a robber. And the thief comes but for two. Who were the, who's the thief? The Pharisees and the false religious leaders. That's in the original context. Those are the thieves. Now we apply that to Satan, and I think appropriately so, because Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the original tight hermeneutic is that it's spoken of the false shepherds of Israel. And Jesus says, they're the ones who are on the outside. You are the ones who hear my voice. And he said, and I have others in another fold that are going to come in. And they'll also hear my voice. And I think he was talking about you and I and the Gentiles that we would come in as well and hear the voice of God. So how many sheep do I have in here this morning? All right. If you're a sheep, you can hear the voice of God. You can hear His voice. The shepherd knows his sheep, and his sheep know his voice. I want to give you three things here this morning to help you understand how we, are, how we can hear the voice of God. First thing is that God still speaks today. God still speaks today. There are people who believe that once the New Testament was formed in the early centuries of the church and we had the councils that formed the New Testament, that once that was done, that God no longer speaks or no longer does miracles or no longer allows people to move in miraculous gifts of the Spirit. That now that we have the Word, we have need of nothing else. That is completely wrong. It's not right. Thank God for the Word. The Word is huge, and we'll talk about that as we go on in the series, how God speaks through His Word. But I'm telling you, God spoke in Scripture by His Spirit, and He still speaks today by His Spirit. 
He's still in the business of talking to people today. A few chapters over in John, in John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you cannot do anything. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So God still speaks today and the main ingredient of that is the relationship we have with the Father. We have relationship with God, and because we're connected to Him, here the metaphor is a vine and branches, but because we're connected to Him, then there should be communication going on. Because in any good relationship, there is communication, right? I don't know about you, but if you've been married and you haven't spoken, if your wife hasn't spoken to you in the past month, something could be wrong. Maybe I'll speak every quarter. I don't know, but if you're not speaking, there could be a breakdown somewhere because a relationship is not just, it doesn't work off a monologue principle. A monologue is mono where one person is speaking. That's what's happening now. I'm giving a monologue. A relationship involves dialogue where two people speak. I speak, you speak, I listen, you listen. It's a back and forth and we communicate. Same thing with God. We speak to Him, He speaks to us. He listens to us, we should listen to Him. This is a relationship. And Jesus promised us the promises of prayer out of that passage based on the relationship. Because we have this two-way dialogue going on, God is, is, has already sovereignly chosen to hear us and to respond to us when we pray to Him. Can somebody shout amen? amen? Think about the great men and women of the Bible who spoke to God and it became a dialogue. I think of Abraham when God came to visit Abraham and they had dinner together, if you remember that story. And then as they're leaving, God stops and says, should we keep from Abram? what we're getting ready to do. He was getting ready to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram, or Abraham's nephew, Lot, was in that city with his family. And so God says, okay, we better tell Abraham what we're doing. So he tells him, and then Abraham is the coolest guy ever because then he's like, they're going to destroy Sodom. That's where my nephew is. Wait, hold on. This is not computing for me. I love my nephew. Hey, Lord, hold on, hold on. (laughs) And he stands between God and Sodom. Or let me put it this way. He stands between God and his nephew. He says, listen, would you destroy the, the city if there were 50 righteous people in it? And then God responds. Well, no. But you knew Abraham had 10 in his mind all along. Lord, would you destroy the city if there were 45 righteous people? 
Well, no. And he keeps whittling it down till he gets to t- Would you destroy the city for ten? No, if there's ten righteous there, I'll not destroy it. What's happening here is that Abraham is praying or speaking to God, and God is speaking to him, and they're in a dialogue. That's before Calvary, before Jesus, and before the Holy Spirit was poured out in our hearts. I think of Moses in the book of Numbers when he had sent out the 12 spies. Ten of them came back with this report of impossibilities. We can't do it. We can't take the promised land. No, we're, we're like grasshoppers. These guys are giants. There's no way we can do it. And the Lord comes to Moses and he says, it's no problem, Moses. Back out of the way and I'll send a pestilence and destroy every one of them. And I'll raise up from you a people who will do my will. And what does Moses do? Hey, Lord, listen. I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> what will the nations think? If you destroy your people, this is not cool. And so God backed all. It's fascinating that there's this dialogue between man and God. God speaking, man speaking, God God listening, and man listens. Come on, say it with me. God God. still speaks today. Second thing I want to say is that that, that God has wired you and I to hear His voice. We've been programmed to be able to hear the voice of God. Why? Because we're created as spirit beings. Yes, we have flesh, but we're spirit beings. Nothing else in the animal kingdom is created like you and I. That's why, you know, science and Darwinism and all that reduced really man to just a biological creature, which man is a biological creature, but he's more than that. Mankind is made in the image of God. And being in His image means that we were created spirit beings like God is a spirit being. And so God speaks to us spirit to spirit. And because we are spiritual, we can receive what He says and we can hear His voice because you have a spirit man in you. The Bible says in Proverbs that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. I mean, I believe that that's a, that's a word picture that God comes and speaks to us and it becomes like a candle and He speaks to us in our spirit. Can somebody shout amen? amen? You are wired to hear the voice of God. So God has been speaking to man all along. 2,000 times in the Old Testament, we have a description of God speaking to people. It may have just been God said... Or God, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jonah. Or God spoke to Moses over and over and over and over. God is speaking to people. What about in the New Testament? The New Testament is God speaking on octane. It's even greater what we see in the New Testament. Notice if we just take the book of Acts, which is a description of the early church, right? If we just take the book of Acts, look at this. Acts chapter 8. The Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and instructs him to go down to Gaza. And when he's in Gaza, to join himself to the chariot of an Ethiopian uh, royal servant. And he goes to this Ethiopian and Philip wins him to Christ and baptizes him in water. Acts chapter 9. Ananias has a vision and a conversation with God in which he receives explicit instructions from God about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And they were nervous about Saul. He was a persecutor of the church and a powerful guy. 
what, I'm supposed to go to him? (laughs) Time out, Lord. But God gives it to him, download from the Spirit. Acts chapter 10, Peter falls into a trance on a rooftop in Joppa, and God gives him a vision, and then the Spirit gives him explicit instructions on how to go preach to the Gentiles at the home of Cornelius, an Italian. Cornelius is praying, who's a Gentile, and an angel directs him to go get Peter and bring him to his house so he can hear the message that Peter's bringing. Come on, somebody. Are you seeing this? Acts chapter 12, an angel speaks to Peter in order to rescue him by leading him out of jail. Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch is in a prayer meeting. And out of that it says, The Spirit spoke and said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them unto. We believe it was probably a prophetic word given in that prayer meeting that directed the first two missionaries of the church to be sent out. Acts chapter 15, at the council of Jerusalem, they're having a council meeting like a huge board meeting, and out of that the apostles said, it seems good to us to be, that we've become of one mind. That means they found common ground and agreement, and then it said it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. That God was speaking evidently in that meeting through men agreeing and coming to a common ground. Acts chapter 16, Paul is forbidden by the Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Acts 16.10, Paul receives a night vision of a man telling him and bidding him come over to Macedonia. And it becomes the first church plant in mainland Europe. Acts chapter 18, the Lord speaks to Paul in another night vision at Corinth, encouraging him not to be afraid, but to preach the gospel with boldness. In Acts chapter 21, the disciples at Tyre, where Paul had been briefly stopped for a visit, kept telling Paul in the Spirit not to go back to Jerusalem, but there would be trouble awaiting on him. In Acts 21 verse 11, a prophet named Agabus comes and prophesies directly to Paul that he will be imprisoned if he goes to Rome. Acts chapter 22, Jesus appears to Paul while in a trance and says that if he goes to Jerusalem, he, will, he needs to leave Jerusalem in order to avoid capture. Acts chapter 23, Jesus appears at Paul's side and tells him that he will witness for him in Rome just as he is desired. Can somebody shout amen? amen. Why did I read all those? Because, we, we, and we often look at that as 21st century Christians or whatever, and we look at it and we think, Oh my gosh, those were the holy apostles. That's the way the church was founded. True and true, but it can still happen that way today. I think that's a picture of what the church should be. That's a church alive with the power of the Holy Spirit. A church that's born again, washed in the blood of Jesus. A church that's on fire with missionary zeal and evangelistic fervor. And a church that's going forth boldly preaching the gospel, living the life, signs and wonders happening. They're a church that listens to the voice of God, that God speaks on the continual basis through dreams and visions and trances. The Spirit speaking prophetic utterances through somebody being translated from one place to the next. Come on, somebody. I think that's the way the church should look. That we're people of the Spirit hearing, wired to hear the voice of the Spirit. It's a fallacy 
to believe that God only speaks through the Bible. The Bible's the key, but He also, man, thank God for the Spirit of God that's alive in our hearts. Thank God for the witness of the Holy Spirit in us. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. So the third thing I want to say, and I really want to land here, and that is, not only are we wired to hear His voice, not only does God speak today, but you and I as believers can grow in the ability to hear God. That's why I'm doing this whole thing. We can grow. I want to grow in hearing His voice. How many of you want to grow in hearing the voice of God? I really do. I want to know His voice. I want to discern His voice. I want to seek after His voice. I want to love His voice. I want to obey His voice. I want to grow in learning His voice. I think about Samuel in the Old Testament. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2.21, the Lord visited His mother, Hannah, so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Okay, what happened was Hannah couldn't have children. She went to the temple or went to the tabernacle in those days and was crying and, and, and really her heart was broken and God promised her a child, but she would have to dedicate the child to the service of the Lord. So she had this young child, Samuel, took him at a certain age to the tabernacle and dedicated him to the priesthood. So what happened? He grew before the Lord. And it says a few times that Samuel grew. And I think it's not implying just that he grew physically, but he also grew spiritually. So in, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the scenario is this. The, the priest who was over Samuel was a man named Eli. And he was an undisciplined guy. And then he had sons under him who were horrible. They were committing all kinds of sin in the tabernacle itself. And so God was getting ready to wipe them out. And to start afresh. But God was going to start using this little boy. So what happened? One night, Samuel went to bed. And he heard his name being called. Samuel. So so he got up and he ran to the priest Eli. And he said, sir, did you call me? Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So, So he went back to bed and Samuel. He hears it again. And so he runs back in, and, and after a while, Eli, he wasn't where he needed to be with God, but he knew the Lord, and he knew enough about God that he said, listen, son, the next time you hear your name being called, you respond and say, Lord, your servant's here, and I'm listening. You respond, I think this is God. And what happened? It was the Lord. And the Lord shared a powerful word with this young man about the changing destiny of that nation and of the priesthood. What would happen shortly after that? Eli would be killed, his sons would be killed, and Samuel would rise to the top as the prophet of God in the nation of Israel. Listen what happens. This is so incredible. Later on, Samuel is so attuned to the voice of God that when Saul was a young man and God was... was, uh, focusing upon him to make him king. He's chasing after his dad's uh, animals one day because they got lost and he stumbles into Samuel's town. Samuel says, go invite him to dinner. And I love this. And, 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 And Saul thinks, I'm invited to Samuel's house? This is like being invited to the president's home. What have I done? Why me? I'm not worthy of this. 
And he walks in and Samuel says, the Lord showed me you were coming. I saw it. This little boy who was trying to discern, is this God? Now is so attuned to the voice of God, he sees things before they happen. Later on in Saul's ministry or in Saul's kingship, when he was, his heart was turning away from the Lord, he went down to a certain place called Agag and he was supposed to destroy everything, but he didn't and he held some of the good flocks back and didn't kill the king and he brought them back and kind of hid them. Samuel showed up and Samuel's like, how did battle go? Oh, it's great, man. The Lord blessed us. He said, yeah. But what is the bleeding of the sheep I hear? And then one of the craziest passages in the scripture, Samuel says, and I want you to bring the king out too, that you were supposed to kill and you didn't. I know he's here. And he brings him out. This is how attuned he was to the voice of the Lord. He brings him out, takes out a knife and hacks the king to pieces because he knows partial obedience is disobedience. And to serve God, you got to have full obedience. That's a man... Oh. That's a man who grew in listening to the voice of God and wanted to obey God to the nth degree. Same man then who could walk into Bethlehem. And fear shot through the hearts of all those people who saw him walk into the city gates of Bethlehem. And he walked into Bethlehem and he asked for dinner at Jesse's house. And then he walks in and he says, Jesse, bring all your sons out. And he brought all these sons out and he's doing this undercover because Saul now is angry and Saul's, he's, he's in a, getting in a crazy state. And he brings all of the sons out and he walks up to the eldest son because he's there to anoint the next king of Israel. And he walks up to the eldest son and in the flesh, Samuel thinks, this is the guy. And he gets near him and he hears the voice of the Spirit. This isn't the man. Then he goes to the next one in the same scenario. thinks, surely this is him. And he walks up and he hears the voice of the Spirit. No, this isn't the Lord's anointed. Finally, they go down the list and go through all the sons. And he looks at Jesse and he says, are there any others? And he said, well, there's, there's the one son. He's the least. And he's out watching the sheep. We'll bring him in. And it was David. And they brought him in. And the Spirit speaks to Samuel, this is the Lord's anointed. This man grew in the ability to hear the voice. I want to be like that, folks. Don't you want to be like that? I've been in three weeks of revival, and there's something happens to me when I stay in that much. I get super sensitive. You get sensitive about what you watch, about what you hear, about, you know, I want to hear his voice. I want to know his voice. I want to be close to him. I, there was a couple years ago when I was uh, doing a lot of revivals back to back and traveling. My youngest daughter was traveling with me some at that time. And I remember I, I, I prayed and I said, God, I love preaching. I'm going to preach. So you give me strength. I'm going to preach till you take me out of here. I want to win as many souls as I can. And I love giving altar calls and seeing God change lives. But Lord, I want more. I want to walk in and I want to see the sick healed when I leave that building. I'm tired of seeing people come in 
and receive prayer and leave the same way they came. I want to see life change. And God, I, I, I prayed. I said, Lord, give me names. Show me things. Not for any glory to Hans, but I want those meetings to be like heaven on earth. And when we come in, we encounter God and something happens. And you know what? God started doing it. I showed up in a revival in central Virginia. Uh, Chris Hardy was with me. And we show up, and I called an altar call one night. And these people came, came down, and in my mind's eye, I saw a leg, and I think it was the right leg, and I could, it was like I saw a steel rod running through it. And all these people are at the altar, and I thought, okay, Lord, and this is the, this is the, the battle. Is this me, or is this the Spirit showing me something? So how do you find out? You step out on the diving board and you jump off. So I got up to the mic and I said, this sounds weird, but I'm seeing someone and your right leg has a metal rod in it because you've had surgery, but God's going to touch you right now. And as soon as I said that, on my left side, this lady, she starts going wild. She said, it's me, it's me, it's me. And we laid hands on her, and God really broke open that meeting. It was, it was wild. Word of knowledge like that just, boom, broke that thing open. I was preaching in a, another central Virginia town in a small church, and I was, I was walking the aisle as I was preaching. And every time I would walk past these two ladies, I would hear a name. And I think the name was Jimmy. And I, this happened a couple of times, and I thought, oh, okay, what am I going to do? And I'm just hearing it in my mind. Finally, I just walked by, by those ladies, and I said, who's Jimmy? God says he's coming out. She said, that's my son. He's in jail. Now, I saw this lady a couple weeks ago at our conference. She came up to me, and she remembered that day. She said, you know, my son, pray for him. He's out west now, and he needs prayer. So evidently, he got out of jail if he's out west. <laughs> Come on, I want to get deep. Don't you want to be deeper? In, I mean, this is moving in the spirit. I want to hear from my own life. I want to hear from my family. I want to hear for you guys. I want to hear the voice of the spirit. And we're going to grow in this thing together. Amen? Don't you want to hear from God for your business? For your family? For your marriage? Whether to sell that home? What, what is any difference that you're a Christian? Does it make any difference? Well, yeah, we're going to heaven. Yeah, no, does it make any difference now? What is the difference between an average Joe out here who isn't a Christian, who applies for a job, and you who are a Spirit-filled Christian applying for a job? Or what, or what difference is it if that average Joe out here is praying for a mate, a spouse in life, and he doesn't know the Lord, but you are a Holy Spirit-filled Christian and you're praying for somebody? What, dif what difference does it make if the average Joe out here who doesn't serve the Lord has a terminal disease? But if somebody in the church has a terminal disease and they're Spirit-filled and full of faith, what difference does it make? You know what difference it makes? It means the Christian has an advantage. 
And that is the Christian can pray and call on the resources of heaven and ask God to speak and say, Lord, I'm here listening for your voice. And what you say, do God, that's that's what I'm going to do. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody shout amen. That's, and why does that make a difference? Because if God speaks to you to do something, it changes everything, man. Because when you get into that, you put your hands to that thing, it's not like, well, if this don't work out, I'm leaving. Somebody don't treat me right, I'm out of here, man. No, if God spoke to you, that you're to be doing this, then you're going to make it through adversity, you're going to make it through difficult times, and you're going to stay there until God says, do something else. Elizabeth Elliot said, what should you do if God isn't speaking to you? Do the last thing He said do. And then let him speak a new thing. Think about Abraham. When Abraham took Isaac up on the mount, up on Mount Moriah, he gets him up there. And here they have the wood. And they have everything ready to go. And they're going to make sacrifice. And Isaac realizes, hey dad, we forgot something. There's no animal to sacrifice. You're it. And he takes his son, lays him on the altar, binds him to the altar, raises the knife, because he's going on the last word he had from the Lord. And then as he gets ready to kill him, God appears and gives him the next word. That's why it's crucial to be able to hear the next word. Because if you stay in the last word, it might not... Come on, somebody. So what happens? He goes on the next word and there's the ram caught in the thicket and my God is there declared to be Jehovah Jireh. I am the God who provides. Come on, somebody. So we can grow in hearing the voice of God. We can grow in hearing the voice of God. And you guys, I love it in the context of a church. It's the way it's supposed to happen. It's the way it happened in Acts. They were in the context of a church. You're walking under authority. You're born again. I just declare you're going to hear the voice of God in Jesus' name. God may speak to you by dreams, by visions, by trances, by still small voice. He may give you, and it's all right to ask for confirmation. Some of us are like Gideon. Remember when I preached on Gideon a month or two ago? It's like I'm getting worn out with this guy. I kind of like him, but I'm getting tired. Lord, could you give me one more sign? Just one. I know I've had 73, but God, 74 is going to do it. Some of us are like Gideon, right? And it's all right. God gives grace for that, I think. He speaks and he can confirm his word. Ask him to confirm his word in your situation. It's okay. Ask him to give you dreams about your situation. Ask him to give you dreams. I have I could I could go I'm going to do this one Sunday. I'm going to tell you about the dream life and how God has spoken to me through dreams. Someone said God speaks to you by dreams, Hans, because he can bypass your brain. Because I have an issue. When I try to hear from the Lord, I got to process everything through this gray matter. And God wants to speak spirit to spirit, deep calls unto Deep at the noise of his water spouts. God wants to call to me, and sometimes I'm like, but hold on, this doesn't make sense. I've got to have this in a chart somehow. And sometimes when God speaks, it's it's so out of the box, it doesn't fit. 
anything, right? I'll give you, can I give you one dream before we pray? I was planting a church in Northern Virginia. I was in the heat of it. And I was planting in a certain neighborhood. And we were renting an elementary school in that neighborhood and having church in the elementary school. My daughters grew up in a church plant. They did the children's ministry. They've been singing since they could, since they were in diapers. So they know church. We were all together as a family doing church. And I had a dream one night. In that dream, I'm standing on the street in that neighborhood. And I saw all of these people coming to church. They were coming from everywhere. Families, kids, all coming to my church. So it's awesome, right? But there was a man I knew and was friends with standing next to me on the street, and I never could understand it until years later. His name was Bill Mayo. He's the former pastor of this church. And in this dream, Bill was standing next to me. And I thought, well, he serves with me in evangelism, and maybe the Lord's trying to say it's going to be through evangelism. I'm trying to figure all this out. And then... A few years later, Bill calls me, and he says, Hans, I've been praying. Would you come down to Elizabeth City and preach for me? I think God may be leading you down here. And when all of this came about in 2009, I remembered back to that dream that maybe the Lord was giving me a little glimpse and a confirmation of what was going to happen several years down in the future. And we were going to see people come like crazy. And me and Bill were standing together on the street as two of us who joined ministries and were able to see this happen. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't God good? You thought it was just little Caesars. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes God has really given you a key, and it always comes in images and word pictures and type and shadow, usually. But God has given you a key. Yeah, somebody shout amen. Amen. Come on, let's all stand in here this morning. You are wired to hear the voice of God. I was reading something by Dallas Willard, I think it was early this morning or late last night, one or the other, and uh, a man said, Dallas Willard has now passed away, but he wrote a lot of books on discipleship. He was, a, he was actually a philosopher from University of Southern California, but he wrote a lot of great books on discipleship, a lot of deep books, and he said this, he said, you know, he really believed God spoke to us, and I'm going to talk about how to be properly positioned so God can speak and, how, and what we need to do, and we'll talk about journaling our thoughts that God gives us, and and some stuff this next month. So this is going to be good stuff. But Dallas Willard said something I thought was so profound. It's taken me 36 years of serving the Lord to get a little piece of this through my thick brain. And that is sometimes when you try so hard to hear from God, often you need to take a break. And Willard said it's often when you go relax that you hear the word of the Lord. 
because we're so, I don't know, it's like receiving the Holy Spirit. I've seen some people come up and we said we're going to have prayer to receive the baptism of the Spirit. And people grab, like they're grabbing hold of a motorboat, you know, trying to hang on. And then they'll often go home or in a worship service and receive the Spirit. They stop that striving so much and calm down. Because I remember this, and I've thought of this. I preach a lot of revivals, and I thought about this. I read where Benny Hinn years ago went for the first time to speak for Catherine Kuhlman's a crowd and the people who used to work with Catherine Kuhlman. And he idolized Catherine Kuhlman. That was his mentor. He wanted to be like her. And if you ever watch Catherine Kuhlman's ministry and Benny Hinn's, they were exactly alike. But he said when he showed up, they said, Benny, you ready for tonight? He's like, yeah, but you know, I want to pray. and sit. They said, how about go take a nap? How about go take a nap? And you'd be ready to move in the Spirit tonight. I don't know about you, but I like that word, go take a nap. Thank you so much for joining us online, and I hope the message was a real blessing to you. You know, eternity is a real thing. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. According to the scriptures, you spend eternity in one of two places. First of all, heaven. Paul said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Or number two, in hell. Uh, Jesus talked about the rich man who went to hell and was in great torment. He was begging Abraham to send someone, a messenger, to tell his family. Well, listen, you're hearing the message today. Eternity is real, and you're going to spend it in one of two places. So why don't let's decide right now, me and you, that you're going to spend it in heaven. How do you do that? You accept Jesus into your heart. Open up your heart and say, Lord, come in. Cleanse me of all sin. I accept you as my Lord and take the throne of my life as yours. Okay, so let's pray right now. Just pray with me right where you are. Just repeat this. Father in heaven, I, I remove myself from the throne of my heart. And Jesus, I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. Forgive me of all sin. Wash me in your precious blood. And I accept your sacrifice for me. And I thank you, Lord, for cleansing me, for saving me, and for accepting me. In Jesus' name I pray. Can you say amen right where you're at? Hey, thank you for joining us. And please come back, get in, get in the Word, get in the flow of the Spirit. And uh, we're just blessed to have you with us and look forward to seeing you the next time.